Hi, and welcome to the Hearth Matters podcast. I'm Erin Zuma. Today you'll hear Catherine and I read part two of our Hearth Matters chapbook series. In our last episode, our series introduction called Hearth Story, we explored this question. In our relentless pursuit of progress, have we inadvertently dimmed the flame and forgotten the pivotal role that home and hearth play in nourishing the human family? And if so, how do we find our way home? In this next part, Householder Feminism, we examine current feminist narratives and introduce Householder Feminism as a movement that champions householders and mothers and drives meaningful change in the domestic sphere. You can find the visual, written version of these chapbooks on our Substack, as well as a whole library of essays available at www.thehearthmatters.com. Thanks for being here, and please enjoy Householder Feminism. Householder Feminism, Driving Meaningful Change in the Domestic Sphere On our first page, we question if feminist narratives are out of touch with women. When Aaron and I individually went looking for stories to help us make sense of feminine power in the 21st century, we found bits and pieces here and there, but no unified voice that sang to us. Even though we both work in the market economy and hail from two different generations, we found the current forms of feminism and their mandates heady and alienating and out of touch with the things we were each thinking about. It seems to us that many of these narratives are either still singing old tunes from our mother's and grandmother's generations, or worse, preaching deconstructionist theories that demean motherhood and disconnect women from their biological superpowers. We both came to the same conclusion. Feminist narratives are shockingly out of touch with women. On our next page here, we have a fun image of a woman throwing her papers while carrying her infant child. She's frustrated because... Feminist narratives are out of alignment with human flourishing. Jobs in the market economy are advertised as more mentally stimulating than the monotonous drudgery of housework and parenting. Yet many of us who have worked these jobs know that expense reports, problematic customers, and demanding bosses can feel far less rewarding than watching a child take their first steps or managing a thriving household. We're expected to devote ourselves to our education and career in order to feel satisfied when in reality, only a fraction of the 39% of women who have college degrees find long-term happiness and fulfillment in their jobs. The remaining 60% of women who don't have college degrees are often stuck in retail, service, or factory jobs in order to make ends meet. We shoehorn our biology into the market economy, investing heavily in our education and careers during our most fertile years. Young women out of touch with their fertility clocks often delay having a family to focus on career until it's too late, creating unprecedented rates of unplanned childlessness. We're told to be brave as we hand our babies over to daycare centers way too early so we don't lose momentum in our careers, even though we know in our hearts that our children pay the price. Or our hearts break when we're forced to rush back to our jobs in the market economy because we can't afford to stay home with our kids. Forty years after feminists started fighting for new family leave policies, little if any progress has been made. Cooking, cleaning, and caring for children, partners, and elders are labeled as unpaid labor or the second shift and are deemed less valuable than market economy work, even though we know we're doing the most important jobs in the world. 
wages for work feminists make demands that women should be paid for this unpaid labor in their homes, but offer no pragmatic solutions on how this might be achieved or who should pay them. We thought the sexual revolution and birth control pill would free us from the inconvenience of our biology, but those of us who dare bring up possible unintended consequences or wonder who really benefited from this profound shift are shushed or labeled anti-woman. We're told not to trust men, that they're part of the oppressive patriarchy. In reality, most men are our allies and are grappling with their own challenges as they seek to redefine what it means to be a man or a father in the new era. During the last 100 years, feminist activism has advanced the interest of professional women and focused largely on market economy issues in the public sphere. Sadly, second, third, and fourth wave feminists seem to be at odds with their own biology and see the domestic sphere as a space to be avoided. It's no wonder practical solutions that address real women's issues have not surfaced. Feminists make no secret of their disdain for the domestic sphere. We've got many quotes from feminists from different eras. And probably the most shocking one is from Betty Friedan, who wrote The Feminine Mystique in 1963. Women who adjust as housewives, who grow up wanting to be just a housewife, are in as much danger as the millions who walk to their own death in the concentration camps. They are suffering a slow death of mind and spirit. It is worth pointing out that she did change her tune around family a little later in her life. And then Vivian Gornick in 2001 wrote, Being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. The choice to serve and be protected and plan towards being a family maker is a choice that shouldn't be. The heart of radical feminism is to change that. Mary Jo Bain in 2013 said, In order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from families and communally raise them. And then in 2004, Linda Gordon said, The nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families is now an objectively revolutionary process. And then as late as 2016, Kate Millett said, so long as every female simply by virtue of her anatomy is obliged, even forced, to be the sole or primary caretaker of childhood, she's prevented from being a free human being. So we believe that we must find our way home. When our mothers and grandmothers left home to fight for equality and gain access to market economy resources, they didn't do it for themselves, they did it for us. We appreciate and acknowledge that our freedom today is a direct result of their hard work, and for this we are eternally grateful. But we also know they didn't have crystal balls and couldn't see some of the problems we would inadvertently make for ourselves on this epic journey. Their actions, which took enormous courage, provided us with the education, wealth, and influence to come up with the next part of the plan. And we think they would expect nothing less from the incredible women we've become. That's why we are introducing the next part of the plan, Householder Feminism. Householder Feminism champions householders and drives meaningful change in the domestic sphere. Inspired by early feminists who viewed home as a sanctuary that required loving and skilled leadership, 
and the roles of homemakers or householders as essential to human well-being, our goal is to reintroduce and amplify this perspective in our cultural consciousness. Like early proponents of the home economics movement who guided families through the challenge of the then-new industrialized society, we seek solutions that will help women and their families navigate the complexities of the 21st century. We believe there is an urgent need to upgrade old feminist narratives that no longer serve us in the information age. Our movement recognizes and valorizes householders for their vital contribution to human flourishing. On our next page, Why Householder, we clarify why we chose that term over homemaker. We think the word homemaker carries too much industrial era baggage and doesn't imply the leadership skills required to run a home and care for a family in the information age. We look back in time to find a word that we think more accurately describes the manager of the domestic sphere, and we thought householder fit the bill. In Old English, the term was used for the head of a household, usually a man. However, in ancient Greece, the term was more egalitarian and used interchangeably to describe both men and women in similar roles. In some spiritual and philosophical traditions, especially in Hinduism, the term householder in Sanskrit denotes one of the four stages of life wherein an individual takes on the responsibilities of marriage, raising a family, and contributing to society. In this context, the term not only signifies a domestic role, but also a distinct phase of moral and spiritual duties to one's family. On the next two pages, we lay out the Householder Feminist Manifesto. Number one, we value householders. We challenge outdated norms that undervalue the critical importance of care given and received in our homes asserting its profound impact on our society at large. While we appreciate the convenience of market-made goods and services, we place a higher value on the homemade care and nourishment provided by householders. Number two, we innovate pragmatic solutions for householders. We recognize the economic vulnerability and low societal status of full-time mothers and householders. We seek to empower them with innovative solutions and new models that increase their financial uh, security and social status. Number three, we believe in the power of partnership. We believe that couples united in purpose and resources inherently amplify each other's strengths. Together, they navigate challenges more resiliently and co-create environments that are conducive to human flourishing. We initiate dialogue about the evolving roles and responsibilities of both men and women in the new era and promote innovative new partnership agreements designed to strengthen collaboration. Partnerships built on trust and mutual respect are crucial for a harmonious and stable society. Number four, we celebrate informed choice. We advocate for freedom of choice in selecting partners without bonds of sex, race, or religion. We uphold a woman's right to decide if and when she becomes a mother. We believe in every individual's right to choose their work realm, be it domestic, public, or a blend of both. Number five, we believe in the family unit. We recognize family as society's most organic and foundational unit. Numerous studies underscore the benefits children gain from being raised in two-parent households. Our initiatives seek to help families stay together while adapting to the complexities of the information age. Number six, we support single mothers. 
While we celebrate the strength of family, we are acutely aware of the challenges single mothers face. We are committed to being a source of strength, loving support, and pragmatic solutions for all single parents. Our initiatives are especially beneficial for single mothers. Number seven, we prioritize early childhood bonds. We support mothers who choose to be at home with their children, especially during the foundational years. And we likewise recognize the essential role that fathers play in a child's development. Number eight, we promote education and respect legacy. We hope to innovate education models that equip householders as well as our youth with the knowledge and wisdom of the hearth. We advocate for models that increase the moral and emotional maturity young people need to become self-reliant, happy individuals who are able to contribute to the betterment of society. We honor the legacy of early feminists and home economists who are committed to making the world a better place through the thriving household. Number nine, we embrace the information age. We believe the potential of modern technologies to improve our homes and lives is vast. We advocate for informed use, especially to protect our children, ensuring our homes remain nurturing sanctuaries in the digital age. Number 10, we build global community. We are committed to growing a global community that shares resources, knowledge, and support, ensuring that householders, mothers, and families worldwide are celebrated for their pivotal role in ensuring our human family's survival well into the future. On the next page, we have quotes from wise feminists who value the domestic sphere. And we start with Ellen Swallow Richards, one of the home economics movement founders. And she says, home is the organic unit of society, that to raise the standard of living and of life in the home is to elevate the whole social system. Louise Perry, author of The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, recently said, the future of humanity literally depends on the preservation of the mother-child relationship. And Cheryl Mendelson, in her book Home Comforts, says, when you keep house, you use your head, your heart, and your hands together to create a home, the place where you live the most important parts of your private life. Frances Willard said of the mission of the women's temperance movement that its goal is to make the world home-like. And Charlotte Perkins uh, Gilman, author of Women in Economics, said, the home is the center and circumference, the start and the finish of most of our lives. Mary Harrington, author of Feminism Against Progress, said, for most of history, Men and women worked together in a productive household, and this is the model feminism should aim to retrieve. And finally, Florence Kelly, who wrote Ethical Games, said, The care and nurture of childhood is a vital concern of the nation. We actively shape the role technology plays in our lives and embrace the future in partnership. Throughout history, for better and for worse, Technology has profoundly shaped women's lives and societal roles. See her story for more on this. New technologies like AI and biotech will dramatically change our lives in ways we can only begin to imagine. Some say that when AI replaces most of our work, two activities will remain for humans, 
Those are creativity and care. Wouldn't that be a beautiful outcome? These powerful godlike technologies hold vast potential to shape our lives for the better. But for all their promise, they also carry massive risk for disruption and harm to our species. In sharp contrast to the past when men made important societal decisions, often without the benefit of the other half of the species, this time around, women will play an important role in shaping our collective future. Working together with the brilliant women who have expertise in the market economy, we will join forces with the skilled women in the domestic sphere who power humanity with their embodied and essential care. United as allies, we will face this techno-social evolution together by actively engaging with tech leaders to ensure their technologies remain benevolent tools that propel, not destroy, our human family. In the spirit of true partnership, our collaborative efforts hold the promise of shepherding in a future where our human family doesn't just survive, but truly flourishes. The next two pages are very personal to us. Uh, they are called A Message in a Bottle. Right after I met Erin, a soon-to-be mother and the younger half of Hearth Matters, I was thinking about the advice our grandmothers and early feminists might give her today if they were still with us. What would they say if they could see the impressive progress we've made, but also the mess that we've inadvertently created for ourselves? As if they were speaking to me from the beyond, the following words came pouring through my fingertips. And after reading what I had written, I realized that I had needed this advice just as much as Aaron did. This is what they had to say. Time is short and the stakes are high. Don't let this moment in time when women have more power than ever slip away. Let go of your anger about the past. The bitter seed of resentment hurts you more than anyone else. Most men are your allies, and many are as confused as you are. They will support you in your efforts to find solutions that realign cultural values with what really matters to our species' well-being. You must work together. And to the elders, the old narrative is dying, and our young people are struggling to make meaning of their lives. Don't abandon them. They need your wisdom now more than ever to help them find new narratives, whether they know it or not. And speaking of wisdom, cultivate it relentlessly. It lives in your belly and needs constant attention and upgrading. You know exactly what this means. Do it. Do no harm and take no shit. Be strong, but don't be a bitch except when absolutely necessary. A soft front and a strong back will not only make the journey more pleasant for all passengers, it will also get you to the destination much faster. Heal your sister and mother wounds and work together to figure out the next steps. Make sure your daughters are well-loved and prepared to create the next part of the story for their daughters, and so on. And finally, find each other. Start the necessary conversations that will help you build bridges to the future the one where we leave this place and its inhabitants better than we found it. This is within our reach. This is our birthright. This is real feminine power. This next page offers four ways that you can take action if householder feminism and this story inspired you. On the second to last page of the digital chapbook, you'll find a householder feminist resource guide. 
So if you're interested in some of those quotes that we read or the research that inspired the Householder Feminist Manifesto, you can access it as well as all of our content online at our substack, www.thehearthmatters.com. Next up is part three of our Hearth Matters chapbook series called Domesticonomy, 